All right, I appreciate you coming out this morning on a rainy, dreary morning. Been very easy to lay out this morning of all mornings, but I appreciate you coming out. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number, number one. Let's read a little ways as we open up a new chapter. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more then the hearts of the children of men? A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. All right, that's sufficient for the reading this morning. Let's go back up and, and go back to verse number one. And as you can see already, this is a pretty weighty and heavy chapter. And there's just a little bit of, of all the stuff that we've covered so far from chapter one to chapter 14. And we'll see that uh, interspersed in here a little bit, but there's some really good concepts in here that'll help you if you're trying to do right. Number one, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So this will give you kind of a foreview of any argument you ever get into. If you want to argue and get it over with really fast, a soft answer will do that for you. And I say, I've told you that a hundred times. If you want to get out of a, an argument, say something along the lines of, you're right. And it'll be over with. The argument will be over with. They may still be wrong, but that just depends if you want to stop arguing, or if you want to correct them, or if whatever you want. Well, just how much of a conflict do you want to get in? But the answer to the situation is a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. And so this is a, this is a great verse when you're dealing with uh, your family members or when you're dealing with people at work, whatever the case might be. If you know it's a hostile situation, then you know what the answer is as far as uh, ending the argument. Now you don't have to you don't have to 
uh, refuse to argue. You don't have to refuse to make your point, but a soft answer turneth away wrath. Either way, but grievous words stir up anger. So just check your own temperature when you go to uh, talk with other people or uh, have a discussion with other people. And let's also venture into this part of the argument. You can have a discussion without really getting in an argument. You may be arguing a point. You may be disagreeing, but there is a civil way to disagree. Most most people just get, uh, most people get um, heated. Their Their temperature gets up while they're trying to have an argument. A lot of people take, especially in the area of religion, people take it personally. It's not your Bible. The truth you're telling for somebody else, or the truth you're telling is for somebody else. You're you're witnessing for God when you're talking about biblical things. And a lot of times we feel as though uh, we we take it as though we take a, a difference of opinion or a difference in doctrine. We take that personally as if our own doctrines have been trampled upon. And that's just that's just an easy way to get into an argument. You can get into an argument uh, over that stuff if you want to. You can have a discussion and help folks out. And I say we take it personally because most people think that a disagreement is really a knock against themselves or it doesn't validate what they think or what they believe. So in all the little arguments about Scripture, people usually get upset because if uh, if my teacher taught me wrong, then I've been fooled, and I'm I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And really, it is pe- people take it personal for those reasons, and people don't usually arrive at the truth. People usually get bitter over those things, and if you're not careful, you'll end up being deceived about something. If you're if you're the kind of person that does, you can be right and still take it personal. But what I'm trying to get a across to you is if you were to be wrong about something and somebody corrects you on it and gives you the truth on it, a lot of times people will take it so personal that they'll not only get mad, but they'll also get bitter and quit when you could have just received the instruction wisely and learned something and got better. When you got to the third grade and they taught you, or I don't know, I don't didn't memorize the curriculum, so I don't know when they give you this material. But if you thought one plus one was ten, or or if you thought one plus one was eleven, and they taught you one plus one was two, you didn't get mad about it. You took the instruction and learned to do your addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, even in adulthood, especially when it, uh, or I should say, in in maturity, you should do that uh, with the Bible, even if you did. Uh, even if you were instructed wrong or when you looked at 1 plus 1 in the Bible and thought it did equal 11 because you put two ones together, they look like 11, don't they? Well, sometimes we see things differently. We see things we see things in a, in a manner of private interpretation. We see the thing, it looks like a thing, so we decide that it is a thing, and then somebody comes along and opens the Scripture and shows us that we're not correct about that thing. Well, just receive it. And that's a large part of what this chapter is about. Reading things, looking at things, hearing things, and and receiving the instruction wisely. And so a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And that'll be that whole concept that I just gave you will be intertwined, not only in the whole book, but in this chapter uh, specifically. Verse number two, the tongue of the wise 
useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Now you could go, you could spend a long time talking about wise men and fools and separate this verse out into both of them, but there's a couple of verses like this in the Bible that reveals that you and I are both wise and fools. You and I both know that we use our tongues aright. We try to learn the Bible and we try to talk about right things and good things and then we spend a lot of times talking about foolishness. And it's just not that a foolish thing slips out of our mouth. The picture that it gives is a is a teapot pouring out the tea. It's a, it's a big uh, container of whatever you like to drink and pouring it into a cup. Well, the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. It just pours out, doesn't it? When you get in a foolish mood, it just comes out. Yeah, I think probably everybody can remember a night where they stayed up all night, and by 10 o'clock the next morning it was just giddy foolishness and laughter and, you know, everything's funny. It's not funny, but everything's funny to somebody that doesn't have any rest. But at any rate, it's what it's talking about. Pour out foolishness. And then let me come down and I think I can pick up this other verse at the same time. Well, I'll, I'll point it back out when we get to it. I don't know exactly which verse it is. and My eyes are a little bit uh, blurry this morning, so I need to get me some up-close glasses now. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now, what a proverb to put in amongst all of these verses. But the Lord sees, and the Lord's taken account of how we use our tongues, how we answer one another. And Moses was a man of meekness, and that's what this is about. The Lord had a great deal of meekness as well. He employed, and he had all that he wanted. The, the Lord as Jesus Christ, when he was manifest as Jesus Christ, or when, excuse me, I should say it this way, when Jesus Christ was manifest to man in his first advent, he had a great deal of meekness, and he could have used infinite meekness or whatever attribute that he wanted to display. The Lord had his own ministry in his own way about going about things, but the Lord Jesus Christ certainly did display a great deal of meekness. And the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man upon the earth, just as the Bible says Solomon was the wisest man upon the earth. It says that there would nobody be wiser before or since uh, as far as, uh, as, far as uh, uh, Solomon goes. But Moses had a great deal of meekness. The Lord Jesus Christ dis, uh, displayed a great deal of meekness. And that simply means that you don't, uh, you don't panic, you don't uh, elevate your responses. In other words, you don't become, uh, you don't panic about a lot of things. When you hear something, you have a wise answer, you slow down, you think about the situation before you react to it, uh, you know. And one time they come to Moses and said, all these people out here prophesying, there's these fellows over he said, I wish all of God's people were prophets. That's, see, that's a good slow answer. Maybe they weren't supposed to be doing what they were doing. Moses didn't make any, any judgment about if they were prophesying rightly or, or wrongly. He just didn't get upset. It wasn't a threat to his situation. And let me just say this. If you're in God's will, nobody's a threat to your situation, your position, or anything else. If you are doing what God called you to do, then nobody's going to knock you out of that. And that's a guarantee. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. 
That's not talking about your repentance. Of course, you, if a man doesn't repent, he's probably not going to be a God-called preacher or a God-called anything else. So he, when he says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, he's talking about the gifts that he gave you and the callings that he gave you. He's not going to repent of that. He knew how you were going to perform before he gave them to you. He's, is he not a God that's infinite in his knowledge, in his foreknowledge? Of course he is. He knows what's going on before he even gives it. He knew what David would do before he made him king. He knew what Saul would do before he made him king. And, of course, uh, he knew that same thing for every one of us. But what we're talking about here is, uh, is the way a man responds. If, he, if, you, if you're called to do something like that, Somebody smarter is not going to come along and take it away from you. And if it was, God probably allowed that thing to work out that way uh, out of his own uh, plan and out of his own wisdom. Now, God, does, God allows a lot of things to show pe- people things and teach them things. And the, the one who comes out on the wrong end of the stick, God always rewards for that. Of course, you've got situations all through the Bible. Jeremiah is a good example. Jeremiah was God's man. How could anything wrong happen to God's man? But Jeremiah went through it, didn't he? Prison, whatnot. Paul got put into prison. Simon Peter got put into prison. Lots of bad things happened to these men, but their calling was never taken away from them. So I'm called to preaching, and somebody else got my position. (laughs) You're still called to preach. You're not called to a position. You're called to a vocation. Amen? Called to a vocation. That's why the Bible says, walk worthy of the vocation. He don't say walk worthy of your position. You've got no right to a position. Amen. Now, you have a right to what God called you to do. If it's right for God to call you, then you have a right to do it. And the Lord is just in making all of his decisions. But you have no right to a position. You have to earn that. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to just rock the modern the, it's going to it's going to rock the modern uh, this modern age to its knees. It, they, they can't handle ideas like this. I mean, Lord, Lord, uh, forbid that a person should ever have any authority of any kind. But if you're in a work where there is an administration set up, a position that you get will be at the mercy of the people who are in the administration of the church. That's just it. I mean, you, you, what are you going to do? Uh, God, make them give me a position because I'm worthy. That just doesn't. So what you have to do is you have to earn it at the hands of whoever is in the administration. That's the way it's going to be down at your workplace. That's going to be the way it is at church. That's going to say, so, well, this is a corrupt administration, and and the only reason they don't recognize my. Great skills is because they're not wise enough to do it. Well, go find yourself a church where they got men wise enough to realize how big you are. <laughs> well, I would do it much better than that. Well, that's probably why God's letting somebody else do it. You would do it so perfectly that nobody would be able to realize your human frailty and God wouldn't get the glory. And you wouldn't be serving by grace. You'd be serving by skill. Go, go find a church full of perfect people and apply your trade. Amen. 
See, no matter how good your skill is, you still have to operate from the standpoint of grace, and you still have to operate from the standpoint of imperfection because that's what we are. Let's, uh, I try to stay in Proverbs while we're in our Sunday school class, but I think this calls for a look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the fact that you know how to do it better really doesn't mean anything. Now, uh, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be recognized and that it shouldn't be used, whatever skill you have. But I'm not really talking about the application. I'm talking about the perception from both you and others. See, somebody can see your great skill. They probably know you have the skill to do something. But they probably also recognize your pride. Anybody who God has his hand on, whether it's, it doesn't matter if it's the pastor or the deacons or assistant pastors or whatever the case is, if God's got their hand on them, God is not blinding them. God probably has their eyes open to a lot more that you don't see. They probably do see your skills and ability. They probably also see shortcomings that would hinder you in the ministry rather than help you. See, if you've got an abundance of skill, that's great. If you can teach really well, that's probably good. But if you have foolish or abstract extra-biblical ideas or pride or anything like that that would hinder you from ministering, then that thing has to be worked on before you can be put into the position because we're to walk worthy of the vocation. Worthy of the vocation and worthy of the material is two different things. You can read and study and read and study and get a grasp on the material, but the vocation is a different thing. A vocation is the application, the working of that material, the ministry of it, the imparting of it. Now, which kind of a waiter do you want? The one that throws the coffee pot from across the room or the one that comes and sets it on the table? The one that throws the bread first and then the butter second? from across the room or the one that comes and sits it on the table and serves it to you. I said serves it to you. Well, that's the difference. See, a lot of people know the material, but they don't know how to put the bread on the table. And that's important. It's very important. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 says in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. So it's not somebody that just knows what needs to be on the table, but somebody that knows how to serve. I say it again, servants. Servants, not professors. That's why so many college-educated people mess up the ministry. And I say that without any apology. Much of the church, much of the church problems it comes from people who are either educated or from men that think they are educated. One of those two classes of people and they're going to do it their way and I've either seen it done this way or we've always done it this way or the college professor taught us to do it this way and this must be the way that it's done or we'll let down the memory of poor doctor so and such and whoever they got taught from. That's not it. That's not he says, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So, 
I think you see the point that I'm trying to make after that passage. So I'll just give you this advice. Do things as simply as possible. Keep things as simple as possible. In the Bible, there's mysteries, but those mysteries are revealed. So we don't have to be dark and cloudy and, you know, mysterious. And, you know, we don't have to set up our services to look like this uh, air of mystery or anything like Do things simply. And the Bible says, seeing we have this hope, we use great plainness of speech. You don't have to use the biggest words, and you don't have to be complicated and, and uh, you know, pin everything down and get everything boiled down to a fine poison, and, you know, where everything for the next 20 months is, is uh, planned out, and you don't have to do stuff. You just live life simply. The Bible urges us that I don't say commands us, but said the Bible urges us to live one day at a time. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He says, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Be careful for nothing. All these things the Bible urges us to live right now, today. Of course, we have to have vision. We understand that. Well, the, the goal for tomorrow is to do the same thing I've done today, to do it better, to do it wisely, to learn something that I didn't know today. But that's about the extent of, you know, of, of how a, a ministry ought to be planned out into the future. But what's sufficient for the day and what's good for the day and what's right for the day and live, live your Christian life today. And those things will usually turn out to be um, a good ministry. That will turn out to be a good ministry for you. And, and lay aside all the, the air of complication and boy, look how... Look how hard that is, and look what a great man he is because he can no, forget all that forget all that stuff and just put the bread on the table. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's move on through this stuff. The, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out fools. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil, not the wicked, the evil, beholding the evil and the good. And so, just as I said before, the wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You've got this thing where inside of you, it's not two different people here, the tongue of the wise. and You can use it like that, that's fine. But what I'm trying to point out to you is this verse of Scripture is not only describing two different kinds of people, it's describing you as an individual, me as an individual. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. But the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. I don't know any man that's ever lived that didn't have a measure of foolishness and a measure of wisdom. Saved or lost. I just don't, I don't know. You know, you say, well, Brother Mike, the fear of the Lord. Some people, the Bible says, are wise to do evil. So he says here, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And I, I've told you many times, and you can look up the definition of the word evil. It doesn't mean wicked. It just means anything of a negative content. Then, and that's a very simplified definition, but look it up for yourself. Uh, a headache is evil. And it's in that sense that the Lord said, I create the evil and the good. The Lord didn't create wickedness, but the Lord created the consequences of wickedness. And that is evil. Everything evil is a consequence of wickedness. And so, the way of the transgressor is hard. Hard equals evil. Okay? 
All right. So let's move on from there. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And we've pointed that out in all 15 chapters, basically, is that you do right and there'll be good consequences. You do wrong, there'll be bad consequences. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Now that is a, that is a very important verse. It says the same thing, basically, that many other verses in Proverbs has said before. But this gives you an insight into what's going on in your life. And it says a perverseness therein, perverseness in the tongue, is a breach in the spirit. Now, if, if you're having trouble in your spirit, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. We understand that. The Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. If you're having some problems in your spiritual life, it might be because of what you're saying with your mouth. A breach in the spirit. In other words, if you're an army and you're attacking another army inside of a fort or inside of a city, you can't get in and do any damage unless you put a breach in the wall. You put a breach in the wall, then you can get inside. The easiest place to put that breach in the wall is in the door. The, 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 the wall is probably 15, 20, 30 feet thick in some cases. You can find some ancient fortresses that have walls. You'd be digging a tunnel to get through it, not just knocking a hole in it. But then here's this place where everybody goes in and out on a daily basis. They have to be able to run that door up and run that door down. It's probably only about a foot thick. If you're going to breach it, you breach it right there. And so in all these reenactments and stuff, you see they come up with this big ram and knock the door down. Well, here's your door. Here's your doors. Here's your doors right here. And so the light of the body is the eye, the Bible says. But the Bible says here as well, he says that the things that go in your mouth don't defile a man, but the things that proceed from the heart, they come out of your mouth. Those are the things that defile a man. If you've got a problem in your life, it's probably what you're saying much more than what you're seeing. Did you know you can see something and hear something and it not have a great of effect on you unless you, in other words, you're seeing bad things, you're hearing bad things, you hear people at work saying things they ought not say, you hear things on TV and they say things that they ought not say. You see things at work and they're doing things that they ought not do. You see it at the mall. People are dressed how they ought not dress. You see it on television. People are doing things they ought not do. But did you know that that stuff doesn't have the worst effect? It doesn't have as bad of effect on your life until you start talking about it. It's, that mouth is a breach. It's a breach. And it'll affect your spirit. The Bible says evil communication, not evil watchings, not evil hearings. It says evil communications corrupt good manners. You say, well, it's other people talk about bad things. You don't get involved in it. You don't start talking that way. You don't start. I can remember some, uh, one of my first, the, one of the first curse words that I ever said myself. I heard it every week. But then it really affected me when I started saying it myself. I used to hear the Duke boys say just a little cuss word every now and then. They'd put in a damn or a hell or something like that. Then I repeated it. That's a change. You could go, I can go back. 
I can go back to, the, I can see it right now, the place I was standing, the, 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 I was climbing on an oil well behind one of these apartments that we lived in when I was a little fella. I don't know if I was 10 or 11 or 12 years old, but I know where I was and I know what I was doing when I said that first word. I know where it was. And it was a change. Breaching the Spirit was made right there. And there was a change in my teenage years after that. And that's a breach in the Spirit. A perverseness in the tongue is a breach in the Spirit. If you get brave enough to say something, you've crossed a hurdle right there. I heard some more preaching this week about uh, men, you know, this. it's going to be a continual thing because men are idiots. But I heard some more preaching this week about, about uh, you know, adultery and uh, marriages and, and stu- divorce and remarriage and uh, again people letting one another off the hook with this well you look at a woman uh, to lust after in your heart you've committed adultery with her listen the difference between looking at somebody and that, that, in that sense of adultery and the actual committing of adultery there's so many hurdles between those two events that you just you can't imagine you just can't imagine the things that you have to go through. But the same thing applies here. That same concept applies here. Seeing things and hearing things and being tempted by things and actually opening your mouth and uttering some of those same things, it's a breach. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. And I promise you this. I promise you this. There's not a man in this room. There's not a man in this room that hadn't lusted after another woman in his heart. But I guarantee you the difference in that man's heart and a man's heart who has crossed the hurdles and performed the action, their minds and hearts and life works a lot different than you fellas that sit around and just, uh, us fellas that sit around and just think about it. There's no question about it. If you don't know that, you need to shut your Bible and stop teaching other people because you don't understand what's going on. The commission of a thing and the thinking of a thing the Lord might have attributed those things to teach you a lesson, but they're not the same actions. I promise you that. They cause different responses. They cause different responses. I'm going to tell you this, and you can think of it what you will. A man that looks at a woman or a woman that looks at a man and lusts after him, that's going to cause you some problems. There's no question about that. But at the same time, you've got a conscience in you that's saying, no, you've got to stop doing that. You've got to pray about that. A man that goes ahead and does something like that, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a breach made in his soul, and God will forgive the sin, And God, but there's going to be a difference in your mind that's going to last to the day you die, and whether God forgave it or not, you're going to have a problem that you didn't have before you performed that action. Amen. Just like all of you little kids and, uh, and the, the, the young men and young ladies in here, listen, you will hear things and you might laugh at it and you know better than doing it or whatever the case might be. But the first perverse thing that comes out of your mouth, it's going to change your life. You're not going to be able to take it back. Amen. Amen. Stay close to mama. Stay around mama and daddy. You won't be so apt to use curse words or anything like that. You say, Brother Mike, you think this is just something as simple as curse words? I'd hate to see how you'd get to any other thing without getting to curse words first. I don't see how you'd be able to tell a filthy carnal joke unless you had experimented with a few other words along the way. 
Amen. It's just like you don't start out smoking marijuana, you start out with Marlboros. Amen. That may not be the case in every case, but nine times out of ten, I'm going to rest pretty confident in that statement. Amen. Verse number four, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Bad things get in, not through your ears and eyes, which they do get in through your ears and eyes. I'm not trying to take that away. But the breach is made when you begin to open your mouth about it. That means it's taking root in your heart. Amen. And then you speaking it back out, you begin to speak like that, you're giving yourself to it. And that's how you tell a real good Christian when he begins to talk about it. A lot of people say they're saved because of what they believe. But it's your testimony that's going to prove. Your testimony is going to be proven by a commitment to say, hey, I believe in Jesus. And you begin to talk about those things. That shows that the thing rests in your spirit now. And when you begin to speak these evil things and these pervert these perverse things, as the scripture says, it shows that it shows that you've made the commitment to it. Amen. I'm not saying you're getting I'm not saying you're saved by speaking, but the Bible certainly does say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, I think you see what I'm trying to get across to you. It's in your tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Verse 5, a fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Now, these, this is the verse I was telling you about that we've covered time and time again inside the book of Proverbs in these 15 chapters. And a fool despiseth father's instruction, and that's where it all, that's where it all lies. That's where everything else, your performance, your wisdom, all of these things lie in the fact of will you receive instruction. Will I grow? You ask yourself that question. Will I grow as a Christian? And the answer is bound up very simply. The answer is given very simply to whether you will grow. Will you receive instruction? If you will, then you will grow. If you won't, then you will not grow. You'll grow in a different direction. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. And again, I have to point out the difference between these statements. He says, in the house of the righteous is much treasure. Well, the opposite of that would be, the opposite of treasure, the way you're reading this verse would be poverty. But that's not what he says, it would be trouble. And riches are, are gauged not by money or how many coins you have, but he says the house of the righteous is much treasure. The Bible says, lay up your treasure in heaven. So he's not talking about he's not talking about coins. He's talking about all you could really just as an example you could use the fruits of the spirit. And you could use those for an example. We'll just use joy or something like that. Joy is is a treasure. And salvation is a treasure. The rewards that you'll receive in eternity are treasures. And so in the house of the righteous is much treasure and you can use the idea of coins. But look at, the, look at the opposite. It just depends on what you're after. If you're after the joy of the Lord and that's your treasure, then you'll be laying that up. If you're after coins and you do right, you can acquire some coins. It's not automatic. Or if you, get, if you, you, know, you give an offering of $50 and God will give you 500 but He's not going to send you 500 a week. I would certainly agree that if you'll give, the Lord will give unto you. But that's a reciprocal thing between you and God. 
He's not going to put you on the payroll just because you gave, you know, a little old lady $50 or put $50 extra in the church plate. That's not, that's not what the Bible says at all. If you be consistent, God will be consistent. He surely will. There's no question about that. But this verse of Scripture is not talking about if you'll do right, you'll get rich. That is not what this verse says. This verse says, in the house of the righteous is much treasure. And that verse is perfectly in line with verses like, lay up your treasure in heaven. He said, but the revenues of the wicked is poverty. No, he didn't. He said, it's trouble. So treasures are good things. Listen, if you have, if you have good health, that's a treasure. Amen. Just ask somebody who doesn't. And they'll tell you. If, you. if you've got $20 in good health... I know a lot of people that would trade places with you. At least I hope they would. Amen? In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. If you got yourself a nice little family and you love one another, that's a treasure. Amen? And you're not going to have a nice family, whether it's just you and your wife or whether it's you and 50 kids, makes no difference at all. If you've got a nice little family and you love one another, you've got yourself a treasure. Amen. Listen, there's a lot of people that makes good money and they got 10 kids and they never talk to one another and they never recognize one another and they're in a living hell. They don't know what's going on. Just to get along with one another be a great thing for them but in the revenues but the, in the revenues of the wicked is trouble the way of the transgressor is hard don't matter how much money you got verse 7 the lips of the wise disperse knowledge but the heart of fools doeth not so now we we'll go back to verse 2 the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness the lip of the wise disperse knowledge but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. And again I say that both of those sides of that coin apply to you. Applies to me. My lips have dispersed some knowledge. And my heart, amen, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. My heart has dispersed some other things in my lifetime or in a, day, in a day's time. Would you agree with that about yourself? In a day's time. Amen. Amen, that's true. So you look at these verses. There's a couple of these verses in this chapter, and you can look at those together. Next time you go through the book of Proverbs, you know, you can think about these things. A proverb a day, as they say. Uh, next, uh, next month on the 15th. The way of the wicked is an abomination. Verse 9. Is that right, or am I on verse 8? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Yeah, that's where I'm at. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Or the sacrifice of the wicked. Now, we can skip over this verse and, and you probably wouldn't notice anything about it. But the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The Lord doesn't accept just anything. Ruth showed me something yesterday. Some preacher, I don't remember what she was talking about. Uh, sometimes I don't pay attention to what she's saying. <laughs> But she showed me this thing. This preacher went to this concert, and you know, I, you know, I try not to listen to much stuff like that. But I was like, I looked at it, and I was like, I heard music and preacher, and saw the picture, and I was like, that's stupid. <laughs> if I think about that too much, I'll get ulcers. Remember, here's all these guys, and they look like uh, they look like something just crawled up out of hell, 
And preachers go listen to that stuff and think it's okay. It's not okay. Oh, it's not okay. A gospel music group ought to look like preachers. They ought not look like Duran Duran. Amen. Oh, but why not, Brother Mike? Because Duran Duran was faggots. That's why. That's why. I don't have to go any further in explanation. Why you look like that? Now you can wear a beard, not have a beard. You can wear a white shirt, you not have a white shirt. I don't care nothing about that stuff. But usually what comes up on the outside is an expression of what's going on in your heart. When you look like boy George, something's wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. Well, I, I've given my heart to Jesus. How about giving your body to Jesus? Well, you can't judge me. You've already been judged. The Bible's already judged you on these matters. Amen. You read through the book of Proverbs, read through the rest of the Bible. That, that pride that's bound in the heart of a child, when that thing grows and when that pride grows and matures in you, it shows on the outside exactly who you want to be. And that wanting to be is on the inside. If you want to look like some of these guys, you know, that's just, there's something wrong with you. It's not Christian. It's an abomination to the Lord. The Lord don't like that. You say, well, I just don't see how you can say that. Listen, a proud look is at the top of the list of things that the Lord hates. The Lord doesn't have a great big list of the things that he hates. But the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. The Lord, the Lord hates a violent man. The Lord hates violence in the heart of a man. The Lord hates that. And the Lord hates a proud look. That's not talking about you using your eyeballs and looking at things proudly. That don't make any sense, does it? I'm proud to be looking at this desk. No, that's not what, it, that's not what a proud look is. It's the fact that you look proud. Well, you could make a sermon out of that, I guess, and talk about what a proud look is. If it looks like it took you a whole hour to get ready, proud look. Amen? If somebody looks at you and it, you look like uh, it, you, you got ready in three minutes, you might want to pay just a little bit more time to yourself. I mean, comb your hair, do something. That'll take three minutes, won't it? But you can usually look and say, well, that guy right there, boy, he's, you know, he's trying to get something established with the way he's, guys come out and they got 14 armbands on this arm. They got spike. They got twelve with spikes on this arm, and they've got fourteen with butterflies and and unicorns on this arm. No offense to you ladies who like unicorns, but boys ought not like them. Amen. If I see some of you fellas wearing unicorns and butterflies, you a sissy. You say, "Well, I beat you up." Well, then I got beat up by a sissy. Just the way that is. Amen. Well, you got all this junk on. You just have to spend the time because I don't know what you think about yourself, but it ain't what God thinks of you. Amen. And so when that stuff shows up in these Christian concerts, they're just a bunch of proud peacocks and they ain't got nothing to do with Christianity. Well, they wrote gospel songs. So did Hank Williams. Amen. Well, let's move on. The sacrifice of the wicked is, well, they sure are looking. They're sacrificing. 
They're living a rock star life. And if they think it's a sacrifice, the Lord thinks it's an abomination. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. Here's, here's a test. It, this is just a test. It'll work universally. It'll work universally. I promise it will. You go up to a fellow and say, you're rotten. He'll probably say, you can't judge me. Or he'll say, you're right. That's a simple litmus test. Simple litmus test. Amen. It'll tell the tale. Going to church with a thousand in it and just preach hard as you can for three weeks. All the people that leave, they're not leaving because you're not a good preacher. They're leaving because they're proud as hell. I say that in the most literal form possible. They're full of the devil. And the ones that stayed is the ones that knows who they are. We're sinners saved by grace. Paul said he was the chief sinner towards the end of his ministry. Don't you think he should have got that taken care of? During his, during his Christian lifetime, but he didn't. He knows who he was. Amen? Amen. He knows to do things the Lord's way, and still he considered himself a great sinner. You go up and say, hey, you're no good. And I say that, nobody carries on a conversation like that, but that kind of thing happens from the pulpit. Hey, get rid of your pride and humble yourself before the Lord. I, I'm a good fella. You're the one that's not right with God. That's pride. Pride got a hold of you. You might know that pride's a sin, but that don't keep it from getting a hold of your heart and life. Just because you know something's a sin. Preacher, we know what's a sin. I've heard that response many times. Preacher, you don't have to preach on sin. The Holy Spirit tells us what sin is. Yeah, the Holy Spirit might have told, the Holy Spirit told the children of Israel a lot of things by the mouths of the prophets. Amen. Are you uh, Holy Spirit speaking to you audibly? I don't know about that. I know He speaks to you through His Word, but I, people say, "Oh, I, I, I know what's right, brother." Mike. I know you know what's right, but you ain't doing it. So God sends a preacher to tell you about it. You get mad and leave. I, I know you're going to get mad and leave. It's because you're proud. Your heart's not right. All these sacrifices you're making with a proud, stinking heart, the Lord goes, shoo. That's a cheap defin- definition of the word abomination. <laughs> it means it don't, it's offensive to, to you. An abomination is something that's offensive. Uh, the Bible said when the children of Israel went down into Egypt, they had the hat, they, uh, that Joseph wanted them to hide the fact that they were shepherds because those shepherds and sheep was an abomination to the Egyptians. And finally, old Jacob got one thing right. Uh, Jacob got one thing right. He said, got before Pharaoh, he said, tell them you're herdsmen. Jacob got in there, a bunch of shepherds. (laughs) He finally got one thing right and testified a good testimony. But at any rate, we'll move on from there. I've run out of time, hadn't I? Boy, an hour flew by. We'll have to get here at 8 o'clock next week. Amen. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll pick up here. Where are we here? Verse 9. Verse 9, right? Yeah, verse 9. All right, I have to remember that. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your mercy. And I thank you, God, for the good spirit here this morning. I pray that you would help us, direct us, instruct us. 
And I pray, God, that our old proud hearts, I know everybody in here probably got a little bit of wisdom, got a little bit of pride. And, Lord, we're in a growth period. We're in our discipleship phase while we're here on this earth. And I pray, God, you'd help us to continually be discipled, to be led, to be instructed out of your word. I pray you'd help us to put away the foolish and that we'd gain the wise. And we'll thank you, dear God, for all that you allow us to do. We thank you, O oh God, for your many blessings toward us. And we pray, O oh God, for your uh, leadership and your benefit, God, in our lives. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a little break. <laughs> 